Welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination from our world to the far off world of Ebris. A land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and of course, magic. We are delighted to bring this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us in this podcast, please visit us at RollWithAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll With Adventure. This session's campaign is of shadows and bliss. My name is Cass, and I am the dungeon master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins in the afternoon of Skalum, the 14th of Lyonne, in the year 1083 PR, as the party stands outside the Hall of Justice and the council chambers of Dwemer Hollow that lie within it. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, how dexterous or not have each of you been this past week? I have not been sleeping well. I keep, I'm accidentally burning the candle at both ends because I stay up to get things done and then I wake up really early in the morning and my brain is like, hello, good morning, it's time to get up. And I look at the clock and I'm like, no, it's not time to get up. What are you doing? Brain's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's time to get up. There's so many things that we could be doing. We could do this, we could do that. And I can't fall asleep again. So I am tired. And then on top of that, today I visited outside with a friend and it was cold and I sat in an uncomfortable chair. And so my back kind of hurts and I feel like an old person saying that, but that's how it is. So I'm going to take a minus two for just being generally tired and feeling decrepit. I don't know that I've ever felt so viscerally someone's words as the words feeling decrepit. I'm sorry. No, it's, I, it's not a not a comment on you. It's just, I was like, oh, I know those feels. I distinctly remember thinking, oh, this is a thing that I should use as a as a story for my, how dexterous I've been. And I have forgotten entirely what that story was. So what I will say is, uh, I went to the museum with six children today, and none of them got hurt or cried or did any of those things, uh, which is not ordinarily my job. And I feel pretty good about that. I did keep a almost three-year-old niece from being eaten by an escalator. So I'm going to take a plus one. I was also at the museum with six children today, but that's my normal life. So I will just take the zero. Let's see what you roll. Probably shouldn't roll two d20. I got a four. I have a 20. (laughs) Sacha, I also rolled a four. But that's going to be a two for me because I am tired and decrepit. Well, in which case, uh, my name's Brian. I'm at Mind Over Brian on both Twitter and on Twitch. But on Twitch, I spell it with a zero. And I am playing Melian Barebone, the changeling barbarian, who commonly looks like a red-haired half-elf uh, with a noticeable scar running from his upper lip to his right ear, making the tip off. Melian spent about, I want to say five years-ish, as a mercenary, and he did a bunch of things, but one of the most important 
sort of events that happened in that span of time was how he became friends with a fiend hornblower who was the halfling female who sort of got him into the mercenary guild that he was in. She was a member of the Red Exiles, and he just happened to be in the area once after she was leaving a tavern. And he was hungry and starving, and he tried to hold her up thinking she was a halfling and she'd be an easy target, and she promptly beat the living tar out of him, teaching Melian a valuable lesson about not judging people by their looks. But also, uh, after he was laid out and she was sitting on his chest, she told him that he had some potential and that maybe she could make something of him if he joined her mercenary guild. And that's how Melian became a Red Exile. My name is Sasha. I play Faileth, the half-elven bard who was raised by and can speak to ghosts. And my fun fact about Faileth this week is that Faileth didn't know what a ghost was until she was eight years old. Despite the fact that her mother became one when she was five, she just assumed that sometimes people were dead and see-through, and that was just a very normal part of life. And it wasn't until she came across her first inquisitor from the Church of Soul that she actually discovered what the term ghost was, and that most people didn't think it was a good thing. She stumbled across this particular person when they were in town sort of proselytizing to a group of children. And their parents. And yeah, Faileth was curious and stayed to listen to the sermon. And afterwards, they were asked where her parents were. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, right there behind me. Oh, so crazy child who's, you know, speaking to the air. And then she's like, oh, no, no, she's just dead. And that was the first time she was run out of a town. Poor Faileth. Poor, poor Faileth. No wonder she doesn't like the Church of Soul. She does not. Quarry is the exception. Oh, good. Hi, I'm Allie, and I'm playing Quarry Anaclathy Bostukbase, a Goliath Paladin of Soul. And a fun fact about Quarry, continuing along my fun facts about Lars. Though Quarry loved their time with Lars, unfortunately, they couldn't abandon their service to Soul. I mean, unfortunately, from my point of view, definitely not from Quarry's. They don't want to abandon their service to Soul. So, yeah, never mind. Maybe I should start thinking. <laughs> Anyway, because they had to continue on their service to Soul, their paths eventually parted, and the parting was amicable, and Quarry hopes that one day they will see Lars again. But who knows what fate has in store? Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember, here, we roll with adventure. <laughs> That gave me vibes like the cavalry is coming. The heckling call of peddlers and the fragrant aromas of spiced meat vendors are familiar sounds and scents. Ones that surround you as you cross the central plaza. Before you looms the gilded double doors of the Hall of Justice and the council chambers within. A tall tower, the city clock tower, rises from the building's apex, the time reading shortly after High Soul, or, more easily understood, noon, as you step up to these doors and pass through them. The interior of the Hall of Justice is built to invoke feelings of grandeur and the might of the Westmarkian monarchy from which its rule of law stems, 
murals depicting kings and queens anointed by Cain, High King of the Gods, and patron god of sovereignty, lined the alcoves behind statues of armored champions and busts of prominent nobles. You note a kinship and similarity between some of the features of the statues and Anna. As you make your way through this hall, you come to a large circular chamber, its walls hanging with the colors of Westmark and the crest of Dwemer Hollow. A curved double staircase rings the edges of the room, rising to a landing with two sets of doors. Beneath that landing is a single set of large double doors, as well as off to the left and right, where there stands two singular, though much smaller doors, likely leading to government offices. Twelve guards are posted around this room, two at each of the smaller doors on ground level, two on either side of the double doors at ground level, and four on the landing above. What do Melian? I have a number of things that I want to say to the council, but I am not politically savvy, and so if there's anything that you think that I've I've missed or that you think should be clarified, I I hope that you'll jump in and help. I'll jump in and help, no worries. I'll tell them everything they need to know. Stuffed shirts. I assure you, you can count on me. However, perhaps Councilman Marsh would be a better political source. Ah, uh, yes. Of course, Master Marsh, if you have anything that you wish to add, I, your contribution would be most welcome. Well, I may speak on it myself. Information that I pro if I were to provide, would not be admissible or usable. As a sitting council member, such as my own research would be viewed as... How do I put this? The council, we often operate through vectors. One of the reasons that you are speaking here today is because if I were to bring forward my own accusations or information, then it would be tainted politically. Hmm. And I would be forced to recuse myself from being able to hold and vote upon the matter itself. The fact that you bring this information means that it is being presented by a third party. And, well, I may be the individual that is has provided you invitation to speak at the council. It does not mean that I know all that you are saying and that you are saying it from my pocket. I see. Interesting. The intricacies and vagaries of the political system, that of the judicial system here, are complicated. Mm hmm And he will point to the set of double doors that are at ground level. He will say, through there is the council chamber. That is where we will enter through. The stairs, the stairs, and the set sets of doors above those are the, for the balcony that overlooks the council chamber, where the populace and individuals who wish to witness the council may do so unless the session is closed. I see. Well, I suppose as it is the appointed time, we should. Enter. Master Marsh smiles a bit. He has this sort of 
twinkle in his eye, a mischievous glint, one that you've definitely seen before in Faleth many, many times. Will you guys approach the double doors and the guards that stand there? Yes. What order are you guys walking in? I mean, is someone going to stop Faleth from just barging in? So Faleth's going first? I mean, she is, and let someone stop her. I was going to say Paladin first, Faleth in the middle, Melian at the back. As you approach the doors, the guards that stand by them bring their spears down across, and they, one of them looks to you and says, I am sorry, but this door is only for witnesses summoned to speak before the council. If you wish to view the council proceedings, you should enter onto the balcony above. No, we're witnesses. We're, we're here. We're doing the thing. I'm completely just doing your accent. But I'm going to keep it in character. Yeah, Faileth is just pretending she's the same as you. <laughs> uh, we have information of the utmost importance that we must impart to the council. I'm sorry to say, but everyone has information of the utmost importance. Especially those that really shouldn't be coming in. Are they on the docket? What's your names? I am Quarry. This is Faileth and Melian. I'm sorry, miss. You're not on the docket. You can't speak. You haven't been invited. Did you not witness us just now speaking with Marsh, the councilman? It is at this point in time that Master Zadok Marsh will step out from hiding behind Quarry, where he has been trying not to double over in laughter. And he looks to the two guards, and they go, and there's this look of recognition and confusion that passes over their face, and Councilman Marsh, it's good to see you, Jonathan. Now, how about this for protocol? Miss Faileth, Sir Melian, Sir Kawari, I summon you to speak on a matter of the utmost, gravest of urgencies before the Council of Dwemer Hollow. And then he turns back to the two guards. John, please be a dear and open the door. And the doors will begin to open. Are you guys going to quickly step inside? With, you know, dignity and decorum, of course. And Melian's going to stare down the guards in like, see, don't stand in our way, should know better. Also dignity, yes, definitely dignity. <laughs> That's the thing Faileth is best known for. Yes, and decorum. How is Faileth displaying dignity and decorum? She believes she knows how you're supposed to behave in fancy places. Uh, so she walks with an exaggerated swagger, with her head held high, like staring down everyone haughtily as she goes through, as she's probably seen uh, people look down their nose at her when she tries to walk into places she's not supposed to be. Vessel is going to assume a similar stance as you, is he walking on the floor, or are you carrying him? No, I think he, he gets to walk, too. Uh, she made, I think she's, like, braided a daisy chain leash for him. That is wonderful and adorable. Uh, so he, on his daisy chain leash, is just on, like, the tips of his trotters with his nose in the air behind you, trying to mimic you as best as, as a tiny little pig made out of moss and natural energies can as he just follows you into the room, and he will quietly just snort. And as you enter the room, you hear 
as the doors open and you go in, a voice that drips with malice. A disgraced guard spins wild conspiracies within these hallowed halls, and you wish to only give him a warning. What is the meaning of this? Who allowed you entrance into these chambers? Guards! Thought I wouldn't show up, didn't you, Naren? Zadik? But you're very much free. And not imprisoned by bandits anymore, thanks to these individuals. But you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Now, I have invited these individuals to speak on a matter of the great importance. But, knowing protocol, we should finish with the current business. Master Marsh inclines his head to each of the sitting council members, ending with Lord Preston Buchanan. Preston, I assume you're sitting as council head at this time. If so, please continue. I beg your forgiveness for this interruption and my tardiness. And he will give a small bow. As Zadok speaks and makes his way across the council chamber, you take in the sights around you. Similarly to the previous room, this room is also circular, and a large glass window on its roof lets in light, augmented by various crystals that provide steady illumination, as those of you that have been in the Dwarven Burrow have previously seen. Behind and above you juts out a balcony from which those sitting there may view the proceedings. You note that Fulgrim and Anna have taken a seat in the center of the mostly empty balcony, though a man with flaxen hair and a gray and white tabard over chainmail sits close by them. On the far side of the council chamber rises a curved, two-tiered dais. Upon the highest tier of the dais sits a single ornate chair, much like a throne, that bears the crest of Dwemer Hollow, inlaid alongside the crests of the royal family and the kingdom of Westmark. A black shroud lays across this empty seat. Six ornate, but slightly less ornate, chairs are situated on the lower tier, three on either side of the central chair, creating a U sort of shape. Above each chair hangs a different colored pennon, likely denoting the noble houses or the guild to which they belong. Though the central chair is vacant, the others are full as Zadok Marsh passes a clerk copying the proceedings and takes his seat on the council. From left to right, on the far left sits the man who Zadok spoke to as you entered the chamber, one you assume is Lord Naren Elbank from Zadok's commentary. He is a man of middling age and larger stature, with a rather oval and repugnant face framed by wispy blonde hair. Next to him sits a thin and wiry man in his late twenties, with a rat-like face and a scraggly black beard. At the right of the vacant chair sits the only woman on the council, one you likely assume is Lady Gessa. Her face is slight oval in shape, framing her cyan eyes, with ringlets of golden curls. To the left hand of the vacant chair sits Lord Preston Buchanan. Next to him sits a gnome much smaller than the intended occupant of this chair, clearly. This, you assume, must be Remelwyn, the gnomish confidant of Lord Leidenfath, who acts on the council 
while Lord Leidenrath is away from Bwemer Hollow. And lastly, Master Zadok Moth. Lord Buchanan's voice calls to the proceedings at hand as he quickly informs Zadok Marsh that the council has just completed hearing against a guardsman who has been charged with disturbing the peace of the city by using his position as a guard to spread rumor across Dwemer Hollow of face-stealing monsters. As Lord Buchanan speaks, you note that he locks eyes with each of you in turn and slightly nods his head towards you, acknowledging your presence and your return. Zadok, having not heard this, states, I will recuse myself from this final vote, as I believe the matters that should be brought before this council are of utmost importance, and I do not wish for you to need to restate everything that has been learned. Lord Buchanan then will say, Then please, I move to a final vote rendering judgment upon Guardsman Matthew Tyler. As Lord Buchanan begins to list the possible judgments the council may make, your eyes are drawn to a small podium at the center of the room, upon which stands a plainly dressed young man addressing the council, though it is one that Melian immediately recognizes. And of course he would, for he and Yovan knocked this young man unconscious, dragged him to a brothel, and arranged everything possible to discredit him. Will you do or say anything before judgment is rendered? Oh, I mean, I don't know what we're talking about, so no. Melian, you stole his face. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm aware that this is the thing that I did, Jovan and I did coming home to roost. But also, I am not telling people generally that I'm a changeling, so it's not like I can be like, hey, everybody, he's right. Plus, I don't know what he's accused of or what the judgment will be. Over the next few minutes, there is discussion back and forth amongst the members of the council. It seems that Lord Naren Elbink and Lord Oberon Mactier are very, very wishful to punish this guard as severely as possible for disturbing the peace by spreading these false rumors across the city and adding to the air of fear and conspiracy that is already across the city. Well, on the other hand, Remelwyn and... Lord Buchanan seem to be of a much more lenient bent. They instead wish to have the individual placed on leave for a period of time to reduce his stress and as well to give him a to have a warning delivered, possibly the requirement of retraining. Lady Gessa, it appears, is the central individual in which both sides are arguing and attempting to sway. If you do not weigh in on this discussion, eventually it will become clear that the Lady Gessa has sided with Lord Preston Buchanan and Rebelwin, ultimately lending this individual to the judgment that he will be placed on an administrative leave, retrained, and that he will have been warned that he should should not utilize his position to sp- give credence to rumors of face-stealing a monsters. Oh, Stalith, he called me a monster. Mm, I'm cool with that. 
That's rude. I'm like, that's just rude. Right? It will continue for a brief period as the young man is led out of the room before the council members will, for a brief moment, begin to speak amongst themselves. And Zadok will stand from where he is sitting. My fellow council members, I bring before you three individuals. Individuals of valor and honor. Impeachable, each in their own right. Individuals who have braved the darkling forest. Individuals who have investigated across Dwemer. They come to speak to you this day on a matter of the gravest import. On a matter of Dwemer Hollow's very safety. As Zadok is speaking, you see Lord Oberon Macteer, the younger man with a rather rat-like face. He rolls his eyes, looks over at Lord Elbink, and then looks at Zadok and says, Zadok, you've been gone for so long. How do you think that these individuals have any information that's important to us? Well, well, Lord Mactier, their information will speak plain. Kuari, Melian, Phelan, please come forward and address the counts. I don't know their address. Preston will smile, as will the Lady Gassa. And she will speak up. No, young one. Please come forward and, and speak of the information that you bring forward to the council. We are grateful for this opportunity. And Cory will step forward, hopefully with the rest of her companions. You'll step forward. When you step forward, the clerk will briefly come up to you, and he will ask for your name and how to spell it. Uh, Cory will tell them. He'll then go to Melian, ask his name and ask your name and how to spell it. Mm -hmm. And then he will go to Phalath and ask Faileth's name and how to spell it. My name is Faileth. You spell it Fae and then Leth. This look of confusion will cross his face and he's like, young miss, that, that's not how spelling works. Uh, so Fae is... Is it not? Is that with an F or with a PH? No, it's with a Fae. Uh, he'll look to both... Melian and Kawari this look of confusion on his face. Melian leans in and spells the, her name. I don't know that Melian would know because Faileth doesn't know how to spell her name. That's yeah, Melian doesn't care that you don't actually know. What doesn't it doesn't matter what the actual spelling is supposed to be, he just spells her name somehow. 
How does Melian spell her name? P H A I F A Y L E T S R Q W K The Eye of Ra. Kawari raises an eyebrow, but also he's not as literate as Melian, so, you know, if that's how it's spelled. The guy's dutifully written all of it, and is really confused, and then he just stops, looks you in the eyes, narrows his eyes, and writes out Faileth and just adds an H to what you spelled, and then goes back to his seat. Continue recording the proceedings. Melian does that thing that people who are very satisfied with themselves do, like laces his fingers together, sets them on his chest, and kind of leans back like, show them I'm so smart. The Lord Buchanan, as the presiding chair of the council, looks towards you and says, Please, speak and provide us as much information as you can on the subjects which you have been asked to speak of today. I know that all of us will find this quite interesting, and that we will be respectful of what you have to say. Thank you, my lord, council members. My companions and I are here in your fair city investigating the disappearance of several children, with the hope of finding them and returning them to their families. During our investigations, we have uncovered many things, some related to the kidnappings, some not. As you say that, Lord Albank is going to bring down one of his fists. More drivel. Really. There are no conspiracies. There are no... There is nothing wrong with our fair city. I wish I could agree with you. We have learned enough that we think it is wise to inform this council of the danger to the city and to its people. Your city faces dire threats from cultists, from kidnappers, from bandits, and from the very weapons that your guards carry. With your permission. As you're saying this, there's this look that passes between... Lord Elbank and Lord McTeer, that there, as you talk about that, like there's a problem with the weapons, that there's cultists, there's kidnappers. But when you say bandits, that both them look uneasy. With your permission, I will tell you of these four threats, and then, if you please, my companions and I will answer any questions you may have to the best of our ability. First, the cultists. Though many of us hoped them destroyed after the Blissful Rebellion, the Cult of Bliss is active once more. May Soul preserve us. They are at least active here in the Dwemerlands. We have fought them in Barrowmans and freed the people of Barrowmans from their terrible hold. Lady Gessa is going to gasp and a hand goes up covering her face. As you remember, she is... the Barrowmans is within her lands and she'll she'll half rise out of her seat uh towards you saying are they okay what do you mean 
and then will realize what she's doing and will will sit down and look to you and say please if if you have time afterwards i would i wish to know as much as you can tell me about my time, about what has gone on in Barrowman's. Of course, we would be pleased to. As I was saying, we must all beware the cult of bliss and not allow them to gain a foothold anywhere. Vigilance is essential to ensure the safety and health of our communities everywhere on Aventai, not just here in the Dwemerlands. We must all do our part to find them and to stop them. May soul protect us all. Second, you face a threat from kidnappers. As I mentioned, my companions and I are here in your city to investigate the many disappearances of children who are taken from their families in the dead of night. Kidnappings? Children are just running away from home. The rather corpulent Lord Elbank says as he gestures wildly with his hands, encrusted with rings and oversized gaudy gems that match his almost puke yellow, but very delicately embroidered uh, duble that is clearly a size too small for his corpulent form. I'm afraid I must disagree with you. You on the council likely know that a different child is taken each month, and none have been found. To our knowledge, ten have been taken, and through magical means, we have determined that it is indeed possible that the children are alive and being held captive in a hidden location. May Sol continue to preserve them, that his light may shine upon them for years to come. Uh, the children have been taken for some dark purpose, though I confess we do not yet know exactly what that purpose is. Third, the bandits, who not only kidnapped Master Zadok Marsh, but who we have found are also separatists who seek to put their leader on the throne of this area if not of Westmark itself. They are headquartered in the Darkling Forest and are a threat that you must all be concerned with, not just as council members of this city, but as every loyal citizen of Westmark must be concerned. Additionally, we have reason to believe that the bandits are the cause of the High Magistrate's prolonged illness. I regret that Corey gestures to the empty chair with the hanging black fabric. I regret it appears that we are too late. Fourth, the new weapons carried by your guards. You recently outfitted the town guard with new weapons from a mer merchant called Quent, putting all of Dwemer Hollow at great risk. Not only does Jasper Quent have ties to the bandits who seek to overthrow the Westmarkian monarchy, but the weapons themselves are unstable. When broken, the weapons release monsters of ice and steam. Preposterous! Preposterous! Yes, we have heard of the incident down in Walden Gate, but that clearly was an arcanist. Someone being a trickster. Weapons cannot possibly contain monsters. Are you actually stupid, or are you just willfully ignorant? How? 
dare you, I will have you in. And as Lord Elbank is sort of rising from his chair, you see Preston, Lord Buchanan, he simply just stands and points to him and and makes a motion for him to sit and says, You are not chair of this council at this time. They will continue to speak, and I expect that all of you will hold your tongue. Yeah, but that guy didn't answer my question. I know this is hard to believe, but I swear upon the light of soul that it is true, and I have seen it with my own eyes and fought the monsters with my own hands. I don't need to tell you wise council members how disastrous it would be if each guard's weapon was transformed into a monster and the guards had no weapons to defend themselves or the rest of your citizens. If you do not believe my oath, my companions will verify what I have said, or we could arrange for a demonstration, though I warn you, that could be dangerous." All of the council members look uneasy, and it looks like a couple of them want to say something. Maybe they want to ask you a question, but they're held back by Lord Buchanan's last order. These are the four threats that we have uncovered and which we wish to lay before you with the fervent hope that providing you with this information will allow you to act to protect your citizens the Dwemerlands, and the Kingdom of Westmark. We intend to continue in our mission to do what can be done to save the missing children, and, of course, I will follow Soul's divine guidance and seek to destroy the Cult of Bliss wherever I may find it. Finally, Lady Essa, Lord Buchanan, if we may speak to you after this council meeting, I bear you both urgent letters from Barrowman's. We thank you for this opportunity to address you. May the light of soul shine upon you all, and may his light help guide your decisions. The council chamber erupts into chaos. There is sudden arguments. There are insults being hurled back and forth across all the sides. As they batter back and forth about, how is how could this be true? How could these individuals know more than perhaps the guards of this city? How could they know more than the very council members that sit here? As this goes back and forth, what's going through your minds? What are each of you thinking about? God, this is so boring. Uh, Melian is glowering at the council, thinking what a terrible way this is to rule a city. I wish I had those muffins right. They were so good. Why did I give that my muffin to Mar? What was I thinking? I could have had them both for myself. Corey's thinking that... Faileth's comment, though perhaps not welcome at the council meeting, was a very good question. And Corey's watching with interest to see who's taking what side. If you're watching for who's taking what side, can I get 
insight checks. I will also allow perception checks if you guys are looking for, say, other things around the room or such. Faileth wants to see who has snacks. Give me a perception check. It's a 12 for my insight check. I got a 19 on snack check. It looks like Lady Gessa might have some snacks. She seems to every once in a while, as Preston is, seems to be in a yelling match at the moment with Lord Albank and Lord McTeer, that she's nibbling on some berries or perhaps some crackers or cheese. Think of, like, popcorn. Faileth is going to have to sneak over there somehow. And you also note that it appears some of the guards around the room have some snacks and food as well. There's not a table or anything like that with snacks, unfortunately. All right. Faileth has a goal for the rest of the council session then. Kwari, with a 12, you're able to determine definitely who seems friendly and who seems unfriendly. Lord Preston Buchanan and Zadig Marsh are clearly friendly. They seem to be on the side of everything you're saying is good. Everything you're saying makes sense. Lord Elbank and Lord McTeer are definitely against. They're trying to discredit you, downplay the kinds of questions they're throwing or they don't know who you are. They can't confirm what you've said. Everything like that. Well, Remelwyn the gnome, he's been really quiet and he seems to be looking back and forth a bit shifty and lady adelaide gessa seems to just be having a heyday she is listening to this like the best movie possible is going on just just nibbling away at something enjoying this argument i got a 13 away inside check so i assume i get about what yeah you get about what quarry got you also notice that phalus body language shifts a bit as if she is suddenly intent on something. Melian looks down at Faileth, but has no idea what it is that she might be engaged in, Like I assume. His inside check still applies, so he's just baffled, and so it leaves her to her own devices, essentially, for the moment. He's got more important things to worry about. As the argument in front of you climbs to a crescendo, there is a sudden sound. A sound of stone being broken and of the doors behind you be thrown open that sounds like a really good time to make a stealth check did you just roll a stealth check no but i said this might be a very good time for a stealth check but finish what you were saying because of how intent faileth was looking at trying to find someone with food she had been looking up at the balcony and so hadn't noticed that anna fulgrim and the flaxen-haired man had left the balcony and the door flies open and as it does and smashes into the on either side there is the sound of stone breaking from the force that they've been thrown open you see anna and then she is flanked on either side slightly behind her by fulgrim and this other man as they enter the room Ugh, now i really have to get out of here Lord McTeer and Lord Elbank will both. I just heard that. <laughs> I'm not sneaky. <laughs> I'm not sneaky. While this is going on, Faileth, you try to sneak away, but Vessel is just startled and scared, staring at this, and so has started to s squeal and snort as you're trying to move. 
and sneak away. But he keeps making sound. No. No. Shh. You're gonna blow our cover. Shh. No. No. Ah. She, like, tries to shove him in her jacket. Like, quiet. There's muffled snorting and squealing. For the first time, Fulgrim has removed the covering on his shield, and you can see it emblazoned with the oil, with the the same crest as the royal family of Westmark. Though it also has another crest, much smaller, one that Anna had informed you about, is her personal crest. The man standing on the other side he wears a tabard. It has, it's in four quarters. Let go gray, white, and then white gray. And there, it also has a symbol, but a, a different symbol. Something it almost looks like a hand, two hands holding something, and that there's a crown. And Fulgrim will yell in a loud voice. I present. Princess Anna Maria Hemena Marcanalia, fourth princess of Westmark, Duchess of the Dwemerlands, Lady of the Order of the Heavenly Hearth, Keeper of the Northern Reach, and Protectress of the Commons. And there will be sudden silence. And in the silence, you can hear Felipusra. Now, like, see, she's so special. Shut up, pig. Kawari is going to quickly turn to look at the council members to see what their reactions are to her appearance. Give me an insight check. Oh man, I suck tonight. I mean, not me personally, but my dice are not great. That's a nine. You get pretty easy. There's shock almost across every one of them. Even... Master Marsh is shocked because no one ever told him she was a princess. I promise not to. I didn't think it was important. I don't care. As they begin to cross the room, to describe the third individual there, the one, the flaxen-haired man, why don't we have our guest that's joining us today, Corey from Campaign 2, describe and introduce his character. Andre is six foot two, very stocky build. Cass has already explained the tabard that's over his chainmail, and he has a giant shield on his back. Uh, I'll describe what's on it whenever you see it. And on his belt, he has a long sword on his left and a mace on his right. And his hair is about shoulder length, very kind of short. But he has a trim beard with a well kept up mustache. And currently, he's eyeing the council. Since you're eyeing the council and you know what you're looking for, why don't you give me an insight check or perception check, depending on what Andre would be looking at them to determine. Kind of the same thing, to see who is nervous. So would that be insight? Insight check. Eleven. Slightly better than Kuari. There's shock. The Lord Elbank and Lord McTeer, they glance and look, uh, look at each other. Lady Gessa has put her hand up to her to her mouth. 
Lord Preston Buchanan, he seems to, he catches himself pretty quickly, realizing the situation, and drops to one knee into a, so that he is uh, kneeling in a bow to her. And the one thing that you do note is that the no seems to be concerned, very concerned, and is rifling through his bag. Master Marsh seems to just be stunned because he was traveling with her and had no idea, and now he's thinking through all the possible things he said that were so inappropriate to say around a princess. But very quickly, all of them follow suit behind Lord Buchanan and will kneel. My princess, what, what brings you to our fair city? The Lord Buchanan says, without raising his head. She will approach, and she will move to the central chair, and will move the black cloth aside, placing it down, and then will fold it across her lap and begin to fold it as she takes her seat. Rise. Please sit. I came to Dwemer Hollow because of terrible news. News that the High Magistrate was gravely ill. And news then that he would perish. I can see that I did not arrive in time. But I do not come just as your princess. This city has been ill-managed. And she will look to each of them. This council. Well, its parts may be good. Together are rotten. You cannot make fair judgments. And you do not do th what is the betterment of this city. Of our people. And so I come not just as your princess. She puts out a hand to Andre. And Andre will hand her a scroll that she will begin to unroll. The proclamation that I hold in my hands is under my mother's seal. This proclamation does appoint me as Duchess of the Dwemer Lands. And it is as my right as Duchess and your liege that I dissolve this council. As she says this, the room erupts into chaos. For the record, Corey is still keeping an eye on McTeer and Naren Elbank. So Oberon McTeer and Lord Naren Elbank. Andre is also doing the same, but he's also keeping his eye on the gnome. Uh, Melian's eyes are locked pretty firmly on the princess. He's just nodding in approval like, I knew this was a terrible way to run a city. She will briefly flash a smile at Melian. Uh, what is Faileth doing? 
Are you using this further chaos to attempt to sneak up? No, Freyleth is far too annoyed back. She's forgotten about food. As this chaos erupts, there will be confusion mixed with elation and joy. Anna will continue to speak, and as she does, she begins to lay out the basically some rules that the city will follow her, that this council is being dissolved, but that does not mean that they are without positions, that each member of this council will be required to remain in Dwemer Hollow, and that she will call on them to learn from their expertise, and if perhaps in time she views that their expertise is required, to appoint them to her council. While this is going on, Remelwyn the gnome, Andre, you see him futzing with something. He's trying to get something out of his pocket. And you see that he pulls out a gem. It is, from your perspective, a fist-sized red ruby. Is he just pulling it out and looking at it, or is he trying to throw it somewhere? He's pulled this out, and he's leaning down to it, and he's saying something. You can see his lips moving, but it is really loud as people are still speaking while Anna is. And you don't catch what he says. Kwari, looking at Mektir and Elbek, they both look very concerned, and Lord Elbink is playing with a few of his rings, very anxious by what he's hearing. Kwari's just gonna continue to keep an eye on them. Anna will look out to them, and she will stand, she will say, This city is in grave danger. There is much that must be done. You have sat on your laurels. You have turned a blind eye to the pleading of your subjects. For this, I can never forgive you. And it is as she says, I can never forgive you, that Remelwyn will throw the gem he is holding. And as he does, the gem will smash into the center of the U shape, and there will be a burst of fire. Can everyone please roll initiative? <gasps> I got a nat 20! My first really good roll tonight! I wish I hadn't wasted on initiative. Yay, I got a 3. I got 12. 17. As the gem smashes into the floor, as it smashes and breaks open upon the tiles of the council chamber, there will be a brief moment of silence as people look towards it, and then a spark. And that spark will turn into a 
roaring inferno that will blast upwards. And as it does, out of this fire will take shape a almost humanoid form etched in flame. And it is going to lash out, touching two of the council members. The first attack, which it will aim towards Lord Elbank, is going to... It's going to basically reach out just a thin tendril of fire. And this tendril of fire is going to stab into his shoulder and ignite the gaudy clothing that he is wearing. And he is going to start to burn alive. And he begins to scream. Second attack, which is going it is going to reach out towards Anna, it will just barely strike her. She attempts to move out of the way, but it is going to burn across her arm. And as it burns across her arm, you see a black, her skin blacken and begin to peel where it touches her. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't seem to hurt her a very a, a massive amount, but it is enough that a large blister is going to certainly form there. And with that, Kawari, it is your turn. Hey, Kath. Sorry to interrupt. Um, what is Anna five feet within me, or is she further out from that? She is further out than that. She is about 15 feet from you. The creature is about 10 feet from you. Oh, sorry, where is Kawari standing? You are probably still by the podium, which means that you're probably about 20 feet from the council, so uh, probably about 30 feet from Anna. So 25 feet from this creature. Okay. And how far am I from the guy who's burning alive? Oh, you are probably only 15 feet. In that case, what I am going to do is I am going to... Oh, I don't like this person, but I feel like Quarry thinks that they're responsible for the weapons thing and they have questions to answer. So... Quarry will whip their cloak off, throw it around them, and then push them to the ground and try to, like, roll the flames out. So you're going to use an action to douse the fire? Yep. Okay. He will flail around, screaming, as you do, and you will roll him off of the dais. But are the flames out? Yes, the flames are out. And that is your action. Are you going to use your bonus action for anything? Oh, what a good question. I think I am going to cast Hunter's Mark on the gnome. Melian, it's your turn. So Melian will promptly whip out his spear and with a, a angry yell, throw it at the monster that just hit two people and caused them to burst into flames. Or not spear, sorry, javelin. I know they're very not, they're very similar. Strike away. Uh, that is a 16 to hit. That will hit trailing of vapors of mist and small droplets of water, this javelin will sink into the creature. In which case, he'll take it'll take seven points of damage, and then I will use the javelin's ma magic ability to immediately teleport right next to it and stab it again. This time, 
hits for a 13. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to attack recklessly with a second attack. And that's a uh, modified 20. That will hit. And then again, that'll be seven more damage. And remember that you do have extra attacks separate from the javelin's charges. Now I can attack one more time as my second attack. Which is a 17. Let's see if I can crit. I crit! Uh, so then it'll take <laughs> nine more points of damage for a sum total of uh, 23 uh, piercing. Uh, and I've attacked recklessly. Faileth, Melian has hurled this spear at the creature. What you are looking at is a living column of... At first, you thought it was just fire, but now as the fire seems to cool and pull a bit in, it looks like a living column person of magma. Well, fire can't hurt a ghost. Uh, and I'm going to summon undead. As you call out and you draw forth Lord Veter's spirit through the shelter of souls, he will form his sword at the ready, and he will kneel to you and say, What would you have me do? Right. I want you to beat up that flame guy, but also protect Melian while he can is also beating up the flame guy. All right? As you wish. Right. He has a turn right after your turn. Jer's my initiative, yes. Takes its turn immediately after me. And he obeys my verbal commands that do not require an action for me to make. And he fights until he hits zero HP. So Vitor will turn. You've given him the order. And that same strange stilted movement. It, he's there for a moment. Then he's suddenly about... 10 feet further, then he's suddenly 10 feet further again, flickering in and out this ghostly visage, this decayed ghostly form, wielding an archaic blade, dressed in armor that hasn't been seen for some 300 years, and he will strike. You better hit, because you're my only third level spell I have left. Roll away. He whips out with his cool undead blade. 1450. That's a 22 to hit. That will hit. And he deals 1d8 plus 3 plus 3 because you said this is a third level spell. Yeah. Okay, so that's 4. 10 damage. He will cleave into this creature and you see that the uh magma that he cleaves through as he sort of like cleaves through the top of its shoulder immediately cools and chills and then slowly begins to heat up as it turns and looks at you guys it's at this point that in the initiative Remelwyn will go and he will vanish he'll just vanish Anna will take an action to put herself out and Fulgrim is going to swipe at the creature with his blade. And his blade will strike it, and it will cut into it. And he'll notice that it doesn't seem to hurt it as much. And he will say, this creature is protected from mundane weaponry. And it is now Andre's turn. So the princess has stayed still? She didn't try and move out of the room or anything? She can't, really. From where she is, she would have to move through the thing to get out. 
Andre will be like, coward. And then we'll... Is there any space left for Andre to get next to this monster? Yep. Okay, he'll go to wherever he can go. And he will go, Cain, give me your blessing. And he will cast magic weapon on his longsword that he... On his longsword. Push that out. So you'll see red flame essentially engulf the blade for a moment and then they will leave a reddish hue uh, on the blade and then the tip looks like it's kind of got like an axe head where the end of the sword would be and he will take two swings at this thing does a 14 hit this thing? yes it will uh, so that will be six magical damage. Six magical slashing damage. And then your second attack. Does a 13 hit? Brian, I'm sorry, but you said you would reckless attack before I could tell you that it hit. A 13 does hit. Oh, well. I did get that crit, though, so... Yeah, you did get that crit. (laughs) Crits are nice. Alright, so this will be... 13 slashing magical damage. You will cut into it and a portion of it will slaw off. This portion will actually like fall down to the ground at its feet and then it will slowly start to get reincorporated into it. As this creature sort of mindlessly looks about, it's it doesn't seem to be super intelligent. This creature is going to throw back its head and roar and then it is going to slam down both of its fists onto Melian and Andre. Melian does a dirty 20. It does, just. 12 fire damage, and you will burst into flames. Ouch. So at the start of each of your turns, uh, you will take 1d10 fire damage, unless you use an action to douse yourself, or someone uses an action to douse you. And then Andre, does a 21 hit you? Yes, it does. You'll take 13 fire damage and will also burst into flames. You will take 1d10 fire damage at the beginning of each of your turns. Until you douse yourself or someone douses you. Quarry, it's your turn. Your prey has vanished. Your companion Melian and one of the companions of the princess has just burst into flames. Right, I guess that means less people attacking this fire monster thing. How far am I from the fire? Because you have pushed Lord Albank off of the dais and a couple of and like Lord McTeer has is hiding on the other side of the dais probably behind his chair and a couple of the others are scattered about. You're able to come in on the side so that you will be probably just next to where Melian is. Okay. How much movement is that? Ten feet at most. Okay. Because I want to use my lance. So I'll be ten feet from the fire monster. Okay. And I am going to use my vow of enmity. And I will say, By soul, it is time that you were gone. And I will use my lance to try to attack it. (gasps) <gasps> That's an at 20. Very excited about that. And I'm also going to use my Divine Smite. 
So I will expend a spell slot for adding additional 2d8 radiant damage. Because somebody told me that my lance is not going to be super useful. Thank you for that tip. Well, it'll be 12 radiant damage, and then it will be 10 piercing damage. Oh, but I but I rolled a crit, so I should roll the damage die twice. You should roll all the damage die twice. So you roll your weapon attack die twice, and then you roll your smite dice twice, and then you add the number. So that'll be 22 piercing damage and 21 radiant damage. Okay, attack number two. That will be a 16 to hit. That will hit. That's a three. Uh, plus four is seven. And you are able to use smite on any attack that hits. Oh, sure. Why the heck not? So that's eight radiant damage. Seven piercing, eight radiant. This creature is going to roar. And as it roars, it is going to, like, bristle. And it's going to get hotter and hotter. And all of you can feel the heat. Those of you that are already on fire, let's see what one of you does. Melian, it's your turn. All right. What do I... All right, I have to take an action, not a save. Yeah, so if you would like to use your entire action to douse it, otherwise you'll take 1d10 fire damage. I would not. I'll take the d10 of fire damage. Yeah, and Melian, I can use my action to douse you because my ghost is going to do my fighting. Uh, I'm just going to full attack. Uh, you'll take two fire damage. Oh, not two. And then I hit this guy. So I'm going to assume a 12 doesn't hit, and I will roll a second time for a 22. That will hit. All right. And then that'll do eight points of piercing damage, and then, of course, I get to attack a second time. And that is a... an 18. That will hit. Second roll. Uh, for four more points, which I think is 12 total piercing damage. Faileth, it's your turn. All right, uh, Faileth, seeing Melian catch on fire and then do nothing to save himself, uh, is going to rush at him uh, and attempt to smother the flames with her body. Okay, so uh, you use your action and you can douse them. I, I'm going to assume that uh, maybe uh, Vess runs up. He doesn't get too close because he doesn't want to get burnt, but he will snort uh, supportively at you. Ah, yes, and Faileth will ineffectively fling herself against Melian. If it was she was a larger person, she might knock him down. But as is, she just smothers the flame with her new clothes, thoroughly ruining them, which she does not care about. I'm so glad that she gave you multiple changes. Yeah. Uh, but you can douse the flames that are on Melian and put them out. And with that, it is Veter's turn. He's gonna attack with his big ol' sword. That amusingly is, again, a 14 plus 8, 22. That will hit. And he does 13 damage. Oof, this is just barely hanging on. You can see that this creature is starting to glow brighter and brighter. And the, the rock seems to be melting. It's almost like it's trying to go nuclear and explode. That's right, just try to hurt my ghost, you glowy dipshit. Melian, I was wrong! Politics are brilliant! <laughs> Fulgrim is going to use his actions to try and pull some of the people off 
the dais and get up so that he's between the creature and Anna in case it does go off. And Anna, for her turn, is going to use Create Water. And just for the giggles, Faileth, can you give me a dexterity saving throw to see if her Create Water accidentally lands on you? Because she's really trying to just put out, from her perspective, Melian's still on fire. I really hope I fail this one. Mm-hmm. Hey, seven. That is a nine. As you're dousing Melian and saying that you love politics, a deluge of water is going to come splashing down, and it's going to co- come down on Melian and on Andre. Uh, basically just, like, pulled across the two of you. Melian, it puts out the, like, tiny remaining little singes that are going on. For Andre, it will put out a decent amount, and you're going to see the creature's feet basically freeze in place as this chills the base of the creature. And, Andre, it is your turn. Okay, but the monster still looks like it's uh, getting hotter and hotter. It looks like it's getting hotter and hotter. You're worried what will happen if it makes it to its next turn, which is directly after yours. Okay, so Andre will be like, You shall be smitten, fiend, and then we'll attack the thing. Fifteen. I'm assuming it still hits. That will hit. So, let me see how smites work. When you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack, you can expend one spell slot to deal radiant damage to the target in addition to the weapon's damage. The extra damage is 2d8 for a first level spell, plus 1d8 for each spell level higher than that, to a maximum of 5d8. Okay, so I'm going to burn a second level spell slot for this to smite the thing in a hell of red fire. So that'll... Be a total of 13 Sashi magical damage, 15 radiant damage. Please describe the end of this creature. He is just kind of yelling, and he'll bring his sword down, and then a trail of red fire, holy fire, will cleave the creature in half uh, from its uh, torso. As that blade comes down, it will actually cut open the crystal that, while it looked like had shattered, had actually reformed and become the heart of this creature. As it cuts directly down through that crystal and the the creature will lose cohesion and collapse into this pile of just molten rock that will quickly begin to cool. And then there is silence. As the lava that made up this creature begins to cool, steam and smoke fill the room. Guards that had previously mostly just been helping to get people farther away from the creature, as you were very clearly equipped to handle this monster, are now going about helping. Multiple people have pretty severe burns. And Anna herself is also going around, dispensing healing to those that have been harmed. She'll start by offering to heal you, Meliot. I will accept the healing, because I took 15 points of damage. You're hurt. He's fine. Faileth, I am burned. I put you out. She will place her hand over where the burn is, but just slightly a bit higher, and will say, Hearth Mother... This servant of life 
has been burned. Withdraw the flame that burnt him. Chill the flame. Knit the skin. Replenish that which was taken from him. And as she does, there is a sort of a soft glow like that of a warm fire. And a warmth will spread, but unlike the searing, burning warmth from the elemental creature, this warmth will permeate through the area and will spread into your muscles, relieving you. And the burns across you, they will knit together and will heal with fresh new skin. It's delicate, so please be careful. My thanks, lady. You will be healed for 12 points of damage. Excellent. Cass, is she still burned? Yes, she's still burned. She has not healed herself. Quarry will walk up and put a hand on her shoulder and say, uh, Your duchessness, you've been injured. She will smile at your inability to tell what is the appropriate title for her, but she won't correct you. Excellent. If I may. Please. Can I do a medicine check first to see how bad I think it is? Sure. That's a ten. You think that it could be between five and ten hit points worth of healing. I will give her ten. You will overheal her a bit, but you will heal her. I rolled snake eyes on the damage for it, and then every other time it attacked someone, I rolled max damage on one die and then above half on the other. So, yeah. She lucked out. She will incline her head to you and say, thank you. But please, we must help anyone else that has been hurt. And she'll turn and she'll look at you, Faileth, and say, are you hurt, little one? Nope. She'll smile. Is my ghost still here? Oh, yes. Cool. I give him a look that clearly says, be menacing. He stands behind me looking kind of tough. Vitor will come and stand behind you looking menacing and quite imposing as an ancient warlord often <laughs> would be. Uh, and he will glow ominously until sort of flicker in and out of sight every once in a while. See? I'm completely in control of the situation. Melian, Andre, anything that the two of you will do? Melian's going to like do a, a, an assessment to make sure that there's no one, like nobody else looks like they're about to do something bad. Give me an insight check. An 18. You're fairly confident that everyone is too shaken up by what clearly was an act of terrorism to do anything else. The individuals that had been very against the any movement on the council, against the actions that the princess was taken, taking uh, the actions that Lord Buchanan, uh, even against the actions of your own party, are they've been cowed. They are not. They both are just sort of laying there or leaning up against the wall or sitting in their chair, shell-shocked and hmm. covered in soot or burnt rags. Let's just say that the fire has greatly improved the clothing of Lord Naren Albank 
it no longer is that puke yellow. It's now a bit more brown and black. So Andre would have tried to go to the princess and see Quarry get there first. And then he would go to the council member that got burned. I forget which one you said it was. Can you remind me? Corpulent Lord Naren Elbink. The one whose clothing has been greatly improved by his inflamining. Andre would walk over to him, lean over and be like, still alive, are you? And then see how hurt he is. My clothes? My skin? <laughs> I'm hideous! That was always true. He is definitely burnt, but he looks like he was more hurt than the princess was. Let's put it at that. Okay. Andre will roll his eyes. Your clothes will be fine. Now sit tight. And then he'll close his eyes and... First of the divine, through me, your servant. Show us your mercy and compassion and heal these wounds of his. And I will lay on hands. Do I have a guessman on how much I would need to heal him? Uh, give me a medicine check. Eleven. You think that it's probably somewhere between five and twenty hit points that need to be healed for this guy. I don't like him that much. I'll give him ten. You mostly heal him and his skin seals and knits and the parts that have been burnt life reworks its way into them and he will grasp your hand and say thank you thank you <laughs> and then he will pass out unconscious he <laughs> weakly the princess along with uh, lord buchanan master marsh lady gessa and lord mcteer the only council member not present is because he is unconscious, uh, being Lord Albank, will come over to you, and the princess will say, Thank you for everything you have done. Now, clearly this was an attack. Quite likely something worse will follow soon. My sudden appearance has, without a doubt, destabilized and brought concern to our enemies. I wish that you go with all the speed and grace of the Triadrian to follow and complete your missions. To aid you in them, I ask that you take Captain Thomason, and she will motion towards Andre. He is of the Order of the Commons, and can wield their power as well as that which I have divested in him. He can be of great help in your investigation, and, as you have seen, he is certainly useful with a blade. Now please, may the Triadrian watch over you. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think the, uh, the role of religious nutjob has already been taken. Isn't that right, Quarry? Bailiff. Quarry looks a little affronted. But we've got one. We don't need to. Certainly, we could use more help, Phalus. Why? We do fine. Also, I would hesitate to re refer to Quarry as a nut job. I meant that in only the most positive possible way. Mm. If I'm gonna have a religious nut job around, I'm glad it's you. I suppose. Thank you? Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> I like the little one. She's funny. That's not mutual. <laughs> we don't need you. Faleth, we are not in such abandon of riches that we have the 
ability to say no to turn down help at any from any angle. Surely you do not wish us to fail. Okay, when did you turn into Mr. Trust Everybody all the time? This is a new development, or is it only because Anna suggested it? Faileth, I am not suggesting we trust him immediately with all of our secrets. However... No, just bring him with us. Indeed, to confront a presumed cult that is stealing children under the noses of the entire guard. Right, well then I guess you just don't need me then. You can do it without me, have fun. Uh, and she turns to leave. Faileth. Melian looks very confused. Faileth, we certainly do need you. In fact, we need all the help that we can get. There is much going on and we have a great deal to do. I don't see how any of this is my problem. We already failed the kids. We failed Mulgabeth. There, I'm sure his girl is dead. I don't care what happens to any of these people here. I don't care about this council. I certainly don't care about any of them. So why should I go? What's the point? You guys go have fun. I'll meet you back at the funny house. Faileth, we think the children are still alive. Why do you think that they're dead? Why would they still be alive? And if they are still alive, why, what sort of state are they in? Maybe they don't want to be anymore. Maybe we're just going to put them out of their misery. Faileth, Jovan saw them alive, and whatever it is that they are intended for, it has not yet come to pass. We have a chance to save them. Yeah, so go do it. Hurry up. But we need your help, Faileth. No, you don't. Of course we do. You've been with us every step of the way, and we've already lost Jovan. We can't lose you too, Faileth. Whatever. Fine. Let's just go then. Quarry looks from Melian to Faileth. They, they have the closer relationship, and Quarry has no idea why suddenly Faileth is so upset and doesn't want to help anymore. Melian is equally confused. Andre will look at Princess Anna. Have I done something? Anna will look to Quarry and Melian. No, and Corey will hold out their hand to Andre and say, We greatly appreciate your assistance, and anything that you can do to help us save the children is... Well, we can use all the help we can get. He will take the hand and be like, I have some things to clean up as well. Well, if... If that is... If that is solved, then... May the Triatrian watch over it. Pass. Faileth, though we do not believe in their gods, it is bad manners and very bad luck to turn down a blessing. Okay, just bless the others then. Thank you, and may the Triadrian smile upon you and your efforts. I am concerned about the way that gnome was able to disappear. Yes. Andre, perhaps you have some more information on him. You were in the city for some time, but I will most certainly be looking into him and his connections. May the Triatrian watch over you, and then she will lay a hand on each of you except Faileth, and... Smart woman. I don't think she had to roll a very high insight check to pick up on Faileth's... But Faileth is so subtle with her dislike... Cass, before we leave the council chambers, can Cory do a little look round? Oh, of course you can. And she will say a brief prayer to Hime, and you will all come under the effect of aid. Except Faileth. So, all of you will have your maximum hit points and current hit points increased by five for the next eight hours. Ooh, very nice. 
Faileth will die in battle and it will be entirely her fault for not accepting this blessing. That would be incredibly horrible, but also really funny. <laughs> it would be such karma. She would deserve it. She's being such a brat. And then the gods are just like, what do you think of us now? I still think you're shit. <laughs> With that, Anna will turn back and she will begin to help more people and begin to get things back into a semblance of order. Lord Buchanan and Lady Gessa both still know that you want to talk to them, so they are nearby. I purposely didn't cast another concentration spell because I have the hunter's mark and and I know that this is not going to help me at all. But still, I would like to try to figure out like where he went using either a perception check or a survival check, depending on whatever you think is most appropriate. Start with a perception check. I feel like he probably just teleported or something. Ooh. That's an 18. When you are searching around his chair, you find that it smells very heavily of brimstone. Can I try to follow the smell? Give me an arcana check. It's a net one. And I have a minus one. So it's a zero. <laughs> so it's a net. So it's a dirty zero. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a zero. I know nothing about this. Fire is fire. He must have spontaneously combusted. Yeah, it's the only explanation. Quarry, we, we know that is patently not true. We saw no, no flame. With the chair, it smells very strongly of mm, something like brimstone. Think he went to hell. One can always hope. Remember, there is no heaven or hell in the Roloth Adventure universe in the same sense that they're used in classic D&D. Faileth, can you give me an arcana check? Am I good at arcana? Probably not. Yes, you are. I'm great at arcana. You're not good at it. You're great at it. I keep forgetting that Faileth is quite intelligent. She just has no wisdom. Whereas Melian is a brick that has gained sentience somehow. <laughs> that is a 19. You know from your travels, there was one time where you had been traveling with a group of... It's not that you'd been traveling with, but you'd been traveling nearby. A group of traveling halflings that would put on various plays. And one of their plays had a person in the middle of the scene throw down basically like a small packet that would explode and release smoke. And then they vanished. And the way that they vanished was that they had a cloak. They had a cape that they would wrap around themselves and it would teleport them. But whenever it did, it always left behind this faint smell of brimstone. And you think, and you know that almost every single one of them had one of those cloaks or capes or an item that did that so that they could utilize it in their plays. Ooh, I bet I had one of those, like, teleporty, smelly cloaks. Come again, Bela? Like the players. They did a play and they'd had a thing and they put it on. It was like a cloak thing and they'd go, like, poof and they'd be gone and it would smell like brimstone. Bela, are you feeling quite all right? Yes. What, what players... You know, all of them, I assume. I only met the one troop, but I assume all players are the same, right? I, I do not believe so. Well, 
Okay, well, the one troop I met had explodey brimstone teleporty cloaks. Faileth, as you're speaking more, you remember a conversation you had when one of the kids in the troop had let you borrow his cloak briefly. And you know that the cloak allows you to, within 500 feet, even if you can't see a location, to, as you wrap the cloak around yourself, say a direction and a distance, and it moves you there. So... It is possible that someone nearby him might have heard what direction he went, and he can only go within 500 feet of his current location. Okay, who was sitting next to the gnome? Andre will try to remember. Did he recognize anyone? I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. Who was, who was sitting next to the gnome? The gnome was in between Preston and Zadok. Which one of you old people was sitting next to him? I believe that was Lord Preston and Lord Zedek. Buchanan and Marsh. Which one of you are them? You know which one Marsh is. Marsh just, like, cocks an eyebrow and puts his hands at his hips and looks to you and goes, Young miss, we've been traveling together. Are you Preston or Zedek? Melina's like, have you been drinking? No, it said that Preston and Zedek were sitting next to the gnome. This one's Marsh! Mas Master Marsh is also called Zadok. Well, I didn't know that! Okay, we're wasting time. Marsh, what did the gnome say? Did he say, Oh, take me west a hundred feet before he disappeared? Just so you guys are aware, I rolled a die, and he got a nat 20. <laughs> nice. Boom. Oh. Right before he disappeared, he said, north, 473 paces. You didn't think that was weird! Anyway, that's where he went! The cloak takes you to the place with the pope, and there's the brimstone! He might not be that far, except we spent all this time fighting a thing, and then healing each other and talking about stuff! We gotta go now! Uh-oh. Right, well then... I'm gone! I run. For once, I agree with the girl, and Melian will follow her. Cory will follow along behind and we'll say come along captain we may need your assistance if you say so there isn't an exit out of this room that goes north the only exit out of this room goes south are you once you get out of this room into the main central area are you going to continue south into the plaza and then go around and try and come up behind the building or head 500 or so paces whatever you think approximately it is or are you that sounds so logical I have a uh should have asked Marsh where we thought where he thought that might be. I mean, way too late for that. My uh my necklace thing lets me go through rock, right? Yes, it does. Can I just go through the wall? Oh gosh. Uh yeah. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so Faileth is gonna turn and run. And she's gonna run at the wall. Like she's gonna run basically so that she is right next to where the chair Remelwyn was in, and then she's going to go straight through the wall. Fiddle-faddle! As Phaelith is running towards the wall, Quarry's going to say, Phaelith, look out! And then probably, like, she's going to go right through the wall, and Quarry's just going to look stunned. And then, clipping along behind her, Veter is going to go through the wall, and then Vessel is going to smack into the wall. With a squeal. 
poor Vess. But Faileth can't hear Vess on the other side. Sorry, Vess. I'll make it up to you with some extra sunshine. Vess is going to just, he's going to trotter at the wall. (laughs) Oh, poor baby. I'm sorry. Describe this wall that she just went through for me, please. It looks like it is a wall of marble. Or at least it has been sheathed in marble. And it looks like it is, from your perspective, it looks very grand. You're not sure if it's thick and sturdy or if it's weak and very thin. But it's just like a solid wall. Yes, it looks like just a solid wall. Faileth basically ran at it and seemed to melt through it. Melian turns to literally anyone nearby and just says, What's on the other side of this wall? More wall and hallways? Uh, uh, that's different. That response not being nearly detailed enough, Melian just breaks into a sprint towards the exit so that he can get around, literally pulling over anyone in his way. And in the process, like as he starts to sprint that direction, he'll artificially inflate his size so that he has the mass to just clip people out of the way. Preston will yell from behind you. There's a few hallways and a couple offices, but then it comes out on the other side in Old Town. All right, cool. Yeah, Emelian will just exit and then head to the outside just in case. So are you going to go straight south all the way or are you just exiting this room and then going to choose to go left or right in the chamber? Whatever way that we came into the building, Emelian will take that exit out of the building and then just circle the building towards the north. Quarry, Andre, how are you guys going to react? And Vess is still trottering at the wall. But Andre have an idea of where the number of paces would be. Give me an investigation check. And this is for you, like, putting together how you think of, like, distances and such to try and determine how far you think it would be. So, 20. You're fairly confident that probably about 500 paces, maybe at most two streets behind the building, it might even be less. It might be in a building between here and a bit further into Old Town, towards the heart or center of Old Town. Okay, uh, Andre will go. I believe I have a rough idea where she may be going. I can lead you the there the fastest way I know. That would be greatly appreciated. And Quarry will scoop up Vess, will turn to Marsh and Buchanan and say, I believe it may be in the interests of the princess or the former council to send some... Guards, if we do not find him where we believe he teleported to, a search may be in order. And Quarry will take off with Andre to leave them to sort out whatever the heck it is that they're going to do now that they have this information about the gnome. And with that, with Melian charging out of the building, Quarry and Andre on his heels, and Faileth walking through walls. Whee! Terrifying and scaring multiple people. Ah, it's her favorite thing. That is where we'll end this session. Thank you for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard... Please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. Roll the six anyway. Okay. Okay, I just want you to know that I, I rolled my d12 and I rolled a six. And then I rolled a d6, which is the wrong die, but it rolled a six. And then I rolled my d8 twice, and it was two sixes. So I don't know what's going on, but six is my number. And no one from what can kill it. Oh, and it rolled a 12, too. How sad. Corey, did anybody warn you about Faileth's feelings toward the princess? So, Corey knows, Andre does not. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. That's fair. I think the princess probably prefers to think that Faileth doesn't hate her. I mean, it's not the princess's fault. She has been nothing but lovely. I'm actually genuinely very much enjoying playing Melianus, just like absolutely baffled. Like, what? why are you being so mean to everybody? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> We don't need two more religious idiots. Wait, what? We don't tell them that they're idiots. What do you... <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them. Thanks. Oh, they're a religious nut. <laughs>